0: Well, today we're going to see the Lord's glory in an incredible passage. Last week we began to look at the blessings we have in God. And today we're going to, to examine them even more closely, looking at the blessings we have in the Father. And so as you remain standing in honor of God's Word, let me read for you Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's stop right there. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm so excited to have you here today as we continue in this series. If you were with us last week, we began by looking at verse 3 and how you and I, those who are in Christ, have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And, and today we're going to expand on that, and we're going to look at the blessings we have in God the Father, and then over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the blessings we have in God the Son, Jesus Christ, and then in God the Spirit. And so I'm so excited to have have you here, but, uh, but I want to set things up for you as we talk about the blessings we have in the Father. I want to set some things up for you by, by talking about what, what I've had the really the, the privilege of experiencing over multiple years of, of coaching baseball and softball. See, one of the things that I get to see as a baseball and softball coach is I get to see the interaction of parents with their kids over and over and over again. I mean, I tell you what, I see the full spectrum of parents in the way they speak to their children on the field. I've seen those moments when a kid, when they they strike out in a key moment, or they make a a terrible error on the field, and hearing their dad voice ring out in condemnation. You got to hit that! Where were you with that? Come on, make the throw! Just watching the kid shrivel. I, I, I've, seen, I've seen the opposite. I've seen a kid get a great play, make a great player, or have an incredible hit. I've seen, seen home runs, and, and the dad be like, that's my boy, right? But most amazing what I see sometimes, is I see that first situation when a kid, when they don't get the hit, when they don't make the play. And I've seen moments when, especially a father's voice rings out, Hey, you'll get it next time. Hey, great try. Hey, you got it, kid. And I have seen kids with their shoulders slumping. And at the voice of their dad's encouragement, I have seen their shoulders raise. I've seen kids with tears in their eyes, hearing their dad's voice and seeing their eyes light up. I've seen quivering lips after a terrible mistake on the field turn into a smile because the Father's blessing rings out above it all. Now, I share that story because what I have had the advantage or, or the joy of seeing on the field, well, it's just a tiny picture of what we're talking about today. You see, Today, we, we're continuing this series, and we're talking about how you and I, we have, we have the Father's blessing upon us. Here's my burden today. This is my desire. This is my hope. This is my goal. This is my one objective for those in this room who have trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I want you to leave here overwhelmed with the reality that the Father's blessing is upon you. I want you to leave here without any doubt in your mind, crystal clear. That is my goal for those in this room who have trusted in Christ. Now, if you're here today and you're still sorting through what you believe about Jesus, you're still wrestling with what you think about God, I'm so glad you're here because today could be a monumental moment in your life. My hope for you is that you will, you will see the invitation of, of receiving the blessing of the Father in Christ. My hope is that you leave here maybe for the first time knowing that you have the father's blessing upon you now if we're going to walk down this path this text in particular this text presents some some tensions now of course we're going to wrestle with what is the father's blessing Today, I want to wrestle with the tension of, of how we receive that Father's blessing. And, and, you know, we kind of began this last week as we looked at the authentic blessing versus the imitation blessing. But, but even more so, as we look at this text, we're going to see there, there's today some tension about who the Father's blessing is for. You know, if, if I'm honest, we're actually, we're going to be going into the deep end of the theological swimming pool today. We're going to wrestle with some, some theological concepts that sometimes get create some tension in our hearts and our minds, but, but we're going to look at it according to the scripture. And so that said, recognizing that we're going to enter into some tense uh, or tension-filled ideas today, I, I want you to kind of put on, you know those, you know those little floaty things that little kids put on their arms when they're in the pool? You know, little blow up I, I, I kind of want to put a few of those on our arms today. I kind of want to go into the deep end, but I want to go into the deep end with some floaties so that we don't miss the point of what this text is really about. And so if we're going to put those floaties on, here's the first floaty. As we wrestle with some theological ideas a little bit later in the message, I want us to go back to over and over again the big picture of this text. The big idea of this text is the Father's Blessing being upon you. Don't lose sight of that when we start swimming in the deep waters. Secondly, I would like to ask you as one of your floaties, flotation devices, I would like you to commit to examining the scripture for yourself, to weighing all of the scripture we talk about today, to wrestling with it on your own. Don't just dismiss what the text says because because emotionally it might cause some tension inside of you. Wrestle with the truth of Scripture. And the third thing I would add, if we present some ideas today that are challenging to you, what I would ask you to do is to to engage in the conversation. Don't say, I don't like that, and so I'm, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not coming back. Instead, I, I want you to know my door is open. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to reason with you. I'd love to, to just have a conversation about some of the ideas that are in this text. Now, maybe this isn't going to land in you in a difficult way at all. If that's you, that, that's fine. But, but that said, let's begin to examine the blessing of the Father that is upon you. This text, we're going to pick up in verse 4 because we looked at verse 3 last week. This text has at least three specific blessings of the Heavenly Father that He has laid upon the life of everyone who is in Christ. Well, let's look at this first one. We're going to start by seeing that we are blessed by the Father's choice of us. You, if you were in Christ, You are blessed, and you are blessed because the Father has chosen you. Uh, Let's look at the text, verse 4. Verse 4 says this, Even as he, God the Father, chose us in him, God the Son, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Now, let's pick this apart. Let's let's just handle this phrase by phrase. Let's make sure we're all on the same page understanding what this is actually saying. And so the first aspect of this that we see is that we are chosen in Christ. Verse 4 begins, Even as he chose us in him. If you were with us last week for our Easter celebration, I made a statement last week. I said the two most important words that I said in the entirety of my sermon last week, they're actually the two most important words that I will preach in any sermon that I ever preach. And those two most important words, do you remember what they are? Anybody? In In Him. In Christ. In Him. Gold stars for all of you that said that. Well done, right? In Him. You see that phrase repeated here right now? says, even as he chose us in him. If we're talking about the father choosing us, this is the what. What did he do? He chose us in Christ. He he chose that you would know him. He chose that you would understand the gospel. He chose that you would put your faith in him. Now saying this, this automatically gets us into kind of that that moment of tension. Because many of us, we, we, we automatically, our first response is to say, wait, wait, no, no, no. I, I'm the one that chose him. I, I said a prayer. For me, 1991, I was, I was 10, almost 11 years old. I remember, I, I said a prayer. I chose Jesus. You might be saying the same thing. What are you talking about? I'm the one that chose him. But, but I want to give you a little bit of a preview. Ephesians chapter two. If you're in Ephesians one, just look at the next chapter. We're not going to go into this too much because we're going to preach through it in a few weeks, right? We're going to get there. But, but look at Ephesians chapter one. I want to look at verses one and ver, verse one and verse five together. Here, here's what the text says. It says, "And you were dead in your trespasses and sins." This isn't speaking about a physical, biological death. This isn't saying that you had no heartbeat. This is not saying that you had not no ability to breathe. This is speaking spiritually. This is saying that every person outside of Christ, we are spiritually dead. We have no spiritual heartbeat. We have no spiritual breath. Spiritually speaking, outside of Christ, you were as alive as the chair that you're sitting on. <laughs> Even worse. Spiritually speaking, you were dead. The only thing that a dead person does is smell, right? <laughs> the only thing a dead person does is stink. This is your and I. This is our spiritual standing before God. Not only that, look at verse five. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Look at what it says. By grace, you have been saved. This grace of God is a free gift of God. It's, God's, it's God extending his grace towards someone who is dead. It's God coming and reaching down and bringing you to life. It's I was dead. I had no spiritual heartbeat. I had no spiritual breath. And now, not because of anything I have done, but because of God, I am alive. I have a spiritual heartbeat. I have a spiritual breath. I am now alive. This is, this is because of God's choice. God chose you to be in Christ. This is the what. But, but if this isn't enough for us, if you want your mind to be blown, I, I want to share with you the when. You want to know when you were chosen to be in Christ? Don't, don't just look at my words. Look at the text, verse four. Here's what it says. It says, before the foundation of the world. B- before the word of the Lord said, let there be light and darkness, let there be land. Before he spoke the world that we live on into existence He chose you. He chose you. The word choice here, its voice is middle. This has the the connotation or the the implication that there's an affection there. There's a desire there. His choosing of you was because he was simply affectionate toward you. This is the win. And so we, we know what he did. He chose you. We know when he did it. He said he did it before the foundation of the world. Why? Continue in the text. We were chosen to be holy. Look at the text. It says that we should be holy and blameless before him. To be holy. We've discussed this before. The the, the working definition of holy Someone who is holy is someone who who has been set apart as pure for God's purposes. To be holy means God has taken you and he's removed you from from the, 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 the world at large. He's separated you. He's created distance. He's created a difference. He has set you apart and he has made you pure for his purposes. It says, to be holy and blameless. The word blameless is the idea of without defect, without blemish, without blame. He has chosen you to become, ultimately, this, this idea is to become like Christ. See, when we understand the blessing of God choosing us, we don't say, oh, God chose me, and so now I can go live my life however I want, acting however I see fit. No, he chose you for the express purpose that you would walk in holiness, that you would live a life of purity, that you would not live like the rest of the world, That you would not pursue the entertainment of the rest of the world. That you would not pursue the lifestyle of the rest of the world. But instead you would be markedly distinct and different. He chose you in him before the foundation of the world. That you would be holy. And look at those last two words of verse 4. In love. You were chosen. We were chosen in love. And the Greek text is a little funny here because that term in love, it can, it can coincide with the beginning of verse five, or it can coincide with these last few words, his choosing us to be holy and blameless. It can go either way. In fact, some of your Bibles probably have a, a period, and then it says in love, and then verse five starts. It's because it's a little bit uh, strange to navigate. Based on the grammar, it could go either way. I tend to lean to think it actually is describing his choice of us to be holy and blameless in, in his love either way, it works. But the point here is that his choice for you is a choice of him showing his love. You know, when God chose you, he didn't do it randomly. He didn't have all of our names on bingo, little ping pong balls and a big cosmic ping pong ball roller and he rolled it and rolled it and rolled it and it spit one out and he says, "B (laughs) nine. He chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love. This is meant to be a blessing to you today. This might cause some, some angst, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. We're going to dive into some of the implications. But, but before we get there, here, here's what I want you to do. If you are here and you are in Christ, here is the thrust of the text. Here is the meaning. Here is the force of the idea that the Spirit of God has led the Apostle Paul to write that you are blessed because you were chosen by the Father. Let's keep going. Not only are you blessed because you are, you, you are chosen by the Father, but secondly, we are blessed by the Father's adoption of us. You, you and I, we are blessed because of the Father. He has adopted us. Look at verse five. It says, He predestined us to a, or for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now this First thing we have to do is talk about this word predestined. This is the kind of word that makes us feel like our shoelaces are tied together and we don't know how to walk, right? We try to avoid words like predestined because, because maybe they're a hard theological idea for us to understand. But let's just begin. What, what does the word predestined mean? The word literally means to mark out the boundaries beforehand. This is something we're used to. When I go out to the baseball field, guess what? I go out early and I prepare the field and I have to chalk the lines. And you know what I do? I chalk all the way down from home plate, all the way down one line and all the way down the next. You know what I'm doing is I am marking out the lines beforehand. And so when a batter comes up and they hit the ball, if that ball goes between the lines, guess what? It's a fair ball. It's within the boundary. If that ball goes outside, it's a foul ball. It's outside the boundary. This is simply saying that God, he predestined, he marked out the lines around humanity beforehand and he marked out those lines with you inside of it. He predestined you. For what though? The implication here is less about the predestined and more about what he has predestined you for. Here's what it says. He predestined you for adoption as sons. Now, ladies in the room, you're included. This is not saying guys versus gals. This is speaking of of you think about the Roman mindset in that day and the idea of adoption in that world. This, this, was a, this was a technical deal. Actually, the adoption process, there are a number of steps. I'm not going to dig into all of those right now, but, but the end result is when someone was adopted, typically they were sold into slavery. It would be three times, and on the third time, they would be freed from allegiance of their original family. And the end, the end result of the adoption process is that when someone was adopted, they now lived under the authority of their new father. And they now lived ideally with an affection for their new father. They were completely removed from the authority of their previous father. And they had broken all of the ties of affection to their previous father. Now, why is this so important for us today? Well, if you and I were adopted, that means we had a previous father and now we have a new heavenly father. That means we had an old allegiance and an old affection and now we have a new allegiance and the new affection. We're talking about the heavenly father. We're getting an idea of what our new affection and our new allegiance looks like. But do you know what your old allegiance and your old affection was? Let's let's do preview number two of chapter two of Ephesians. Look at verses two and three. This is, begins, verse one, or, or excuse me, I said chapters two and three. We're not gonna spend that much time together today. Verses two and three. We just looked at how we were dead in our sin and trespass. Verse two, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. This is talking about Satan himself. says the spirit that is now at work, look at here, this is a familial term, now at work in the sons of disobedience. Sons. Those outside of Christ. This is, how, this is their familial identification. They are, they are considered sons of disobedience. This is what I was. This is what you were before we, were, we, we trusted in Christ. Keep going. Says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature, look, another familiar term, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, sons of disobedience, children of wrath. This this is our previous family Before we are adopted by God the Father in Christ, through Christ, before we are made children of God, you know what we are? Jesus, he talked about this. When he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, you are sons of your father, the devil who is a liar. This is the same idea here. You and I, we were sons of disobedience. You know what that means? We were just like our father. We would do whatever it is we felt like was right. We would act however we wanted. We would be selfish and lustful and sinful. Whatever we wanted, we would do. This is what it means to be a son of disobedience. And then even worse than that, it says we were children of wrath. Wrath is another word we need to define, isn't it? Wrath, properly defined, is the righteous anger of God. It's it's God's righteous. It's true. It's good anger. We want to think about anger as only bad, but, but anger against evil is absolutely good and god's anger is righteous it is pure it's perfect understanding that come back to this idea of being adopted you once held an allegiance as a son of disobedience and a child of wrath you held an allegiance to 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 satan to this world to your flesh but now you have been adopted. All of the rights, all of the privileges, all of the blessings are now yours in Christ. You are now a son of God. This is incredible. We, we were adopted. And, and, and the question is how were we adopted? Look at these next three words through Jesus Christ. We're going to see this theme over and over again, right? How were we adopted? Well, you know what? I cleaned up my act. I stopped being such a bad guy. I stopped doing all these bad things. I stopped, you know, kicking puppies and burning down houses on the weekend. And, you know, because I'm doing good things now, God decided to adopt me because look at how great I'm doing. No... You, you, you were not adopted through your good works. You were not adopted because you were trying harder. You were not adopted because you are better, morally speaking, than your neighbor or your sister or brother or your coworker. You were adopted only one way, through Jesus Christ. It's his death and resurrection that have paid the price for your sin, that took on the wrath of God. It's his death and resurrection through which God has made you alive together with Christ. It's through Christ. And this is, this is because of God, the pleasure of God's will. See, see, we are adopted according to the pleasure of God's will. Well, look at how the verse ends, verse five. It says in the ESV, according to the purpose of his will. Now, some of you, you've got the the King James Version, or you've got the NIV or even the NLT. In those versions, they give a little bit bit more uh, robust understanding of that word purpose. Your versions, if you have one of those ones that I just listed off, it says something like, according to the good pleasure of God's will. This isn't just like this static, stagnant purpose, this stale purpose of God where it's like robotic in function. No, this is according to the pleasure of God's will. This is God accomplishing his will, and it is pleasing to himself. Now, this is where where we're going to dive, swim out a little bit deeper into the theological pool. This is where you need to make sure you got your flotation devices securely on your arms, right? Some of us, maybe we should get a raft. Maybe that's what we need, right? Scared of the water, it's okay. But, but when we think about God's will, this is what I want us to wrestle with a little bit. The scripture speaks about the will of God in a variety of ways. The scripture speaks about the will of God in a variety of ways, if we are able to distinguish the different ways the scripture speaks about the will of God, it will give us some clarity as we begin to wrestle with the ideas that we're talking about here today. So let's, let's talk about some of the ways that the will of God is distinguished in the scripture. Some people call this first way the, the perceptive will of God. This is, this is, if we talk about the perceptive will of God, we are talking about the ideal state of affairs, this is like, has, as God has designed the world, as, as God has perceives the world to work, this is the ideal state of affairs. Think about it like this. God says, do not steal. Guess what? The ideal state of affairs is that you do not steal. But have you ever stolen? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know, right? This is, this is the ideal state of affairs. Think about this. Husbands. Husbands in this room, the the scripture calls you to love your wives as Christ loved the church, that you should be gentle and understanding with them. Husbands, do you do this perfectly? Anyone want to raise your hand and say, I do do it perfectly? I'm just 100%? Wives, the scripture speaks to you. It says you are to respect and to follow your husbands, and, and you are to do this perfectly. Do you do this perfectly? This is the ideal. This is the way God's designed it. Do you do it perfectly, ladies? Anyone? Children, scripture says you are to obey your parents. Children in this room, any of you kids, you want to stand up right now before the whole church, say, yep, I got it perfect. Mom and dad, I'm always of I'm always perfect obedience, right? Anyone? I see a lot of kids bowing their heads a little bit like this. Like, this is God's will for you. This is God's will. This is, this is what we would call his perceptive will, his, the ideal state of affairs in the way the world works. Let's apply this, though, to the topic really at hand today. Let's look at a few passages. 2 Peter 3.9. I want you to notice the perceptive will of God here. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is Patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What's the Lord's will here? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. First Timothy two verses three and four says, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. This is God's desire. God's desire is that all people should be saved. Let me ask you, are we universalists? Is everyone going to be saved? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Broad is the path and wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many are on the path. And he says, he says, narrow is the gate and hard is the way to life, and there are a few that find it. Listen, the scripture speaks very clearly that there is a heaven and there is a hell. That those in Christ will live forever in heaven, and those outside of Christ have an eternity separated from the goodness of God in hell. Yet. God desires that all should be saved. What do we do with these texts? Do we do we jettison everything else in the scripture and say, well, God desires everyone else to be saved? And so it doesn't really matter how we live. You know what? We don't even really need to trust in Jesus. Everyone's gonna be saved, everyone. It's it's God's desire, it's God's will. Yes, it is God's will. But but understanding it contextually, it is what we would call his perceptive will. This is the ideal state where everyone would trust in Christ, where everyone would be saved. Contrast that with the decreative will of God. If the perceptive will of God is what wills that we would do, the decreative will of God is what God will accomplish that that word decreative. It has that word decree. When God decrees something, it is accomplished. Think back about the de- declaration: "Let there be light," and then there was light. This is what God will, in fact, accomplish. Think about this in in the the narrative of salvation. Look at the Apostle Paul. He is the the human author of the book of Ephesians. Look at a glimpse of his story, Galatians chapter one. Here's what he says. He he was rebellious against God. He was uh, against the church. He was against Christ. Verse 15, Galatians one, he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, when? When? before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And then he goes on and tells some more of his story. God accomplished his purpose. God set Paul apart before he was born. When were you chosen? Before the foundation of the earth. Jesus' words to his disciples, John 15 verse 16, what does Jesus say? He says to his disciples, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Jesus says this to his disciples, he says, you guys didn't, you know, come to an, an epiphany where you said, oh yeah, this guy, Jesus, I'm going to go follow him. No, Jesus says, I chose you. I believe he says the exact same thing. Same thing to us today. He doesn't say you woke up one day and you had this spiritual epiphany all on your own, completely separated from God. No, we were dead in our sin and trespass. But God made us alive together in Christ. See, we even looked at this in 1 Thessalonians. About a year ago, we started the book of 1 Thessalonians. It took us a while to get through it, right? If you remember all the way back, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 4, and 5, it says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he chose you. How did Paul know that these people were chosen? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. They came to a saving faith that became evident by their response. Not, not responsive behavior, response of faith to the gospel. This is how, this is how he knew. So we, we've got this tension here, church. I understand this is the tension. And maybe for some of us, this is no tension at all. You're like, yeah, yeah, I like this. Maybe you're sitting there, you're like, man, I don't know about this. This, is, this feels off. This feels weird. But I want us to wrestle with the reality of this tension. I would add a third category. It's not in your notes, but I would say the mysterious working of the will of God is what we're dealing with here. The mysterious working of the will of God. I think about Acts chapter 2 when Peter is preaching, verse 23. Notice how we see the will of God at work in here. Here's what it says. It says, this Jesus, Peter's preaching, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Look, Jesus' crucifixion did not surprise God. The heavenly father was not in the heavens pulling out his hair. What are they doing to my son? Oh my goodness. They're they're, they're dragging him outside the city. They're, they're, They're crucifying him. What am I? This did not surprise God. This was his plan. This was his foreknowledge. But look at the rest of the text. You, speaking to the Jewish people, you crucified and killed by the hands of evil men. You have God's decree, God's decree as he says, this is how I am going to save humanity. And then you have human responsibility. You crucified and killed him. This is the tension I want us to feel today. See, see sometimes people, when we start wrestling with this tension, here's, here's, here's what we want to do. Maybe this is what you want to do. Some people want to run to the side of God's sovereign choice, saying God is sovereign, God chooses, and you do this, you cling to this, and you dismiss or you diminish all of the scriptures that speak about human responsibility. Others, they go the other end of the spectrum. They want to cling to human responsibility and human choice and and human freedom, but you do this diminishing God's sovereign choice. But here's the deal. The scripture holds them both in perfect tension. God is absolutely sovereign in his choice, and you and I, we are absolutely responsibility for our actions. This is the tension we're wrestling with today. This is the reality of the scripture Now, let go of those tensions for a moment. Take a deep breath. And remember the context of this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as... He chose you in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. This is not meant to be a moment where we are the ones pulling our hair out. This text is written for the purpose of being a blessing to you, brother or sister in Christ. We, we might wrestle with the tension of, of how it all works, but at the end of the day, here's what I want you to hear. If you are in Christ, you have the blessing of being chosen. You have the blessing of being adopted. And we're not even done yet. Verse six. Well, let's look at our final verse at least for today, the final aspect of this, this blessing that we have in God the Father. Verse six, we see not only that we, are we blessed by the Father's choice, not only are we blessed by the Father's adoption, but finally we are blessed by the Father's grace toward us. Here's what verse six says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's just look at two aspects of this final verse here. The first aspect I want you to see is that we are blessed with grace to praise his glory. The the text says, to the praise of his glorious grace. Some versions say, to the praise of the grace of his glory, right? But the point here is talking about, it's connecting the grace that we've received with the glory of God. Now, how would you, here's another word we have to define, how would you define the glory of God? It's an interesting word. It's a word we use often, but sometimes we don't actually have our hands around a definition, When we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the the summation of God's perfections on display. Here's what I mean. Let's say we were to go to an art gallery and we were to have all these different pieces of artwork and each of them is fully, it's fully depicting an aspect of God's character. And so exhibit number one, we have God's love. And then right next to it, we have God's justice. And and then right next to it, we have God's mercy and then God's patience and then God's kindness and then his gentleness and then we have God's power and then we got have God's knowledge and then God's wisdom and then truth and the, I mean this is just a giant this is like a beyond warehouse size exhibit of all of the perfections of God and now imagine with me for a moment that you are able to you are able to see every one of those attributes every one of those perfections in perfect detail all at the same time this this is what we're talking about when we're talking about the glory of God I wonder if in heaven we're going to be able to get that kind of perspective his glory we just it. how majestic is your name through all the earth this is his glory is meant to be an overwhelming display of everything God is and I don't think we can fully even grasp it I don't think we will even in heaven fully fully grasp it but, but notice, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise. See, you, the blessing of you being chosen, the blessing of you being adopted, the blessing of you receiving grace, it, it is meant to result in something. It is meant to result in the praise of his glorious grace. You, you realize that's why we sing, right? Right? I know if you've been coming to church for a while, you you're pretty accustomed to come in, and you know we've got our three songs, three song set, or however long it is, and we're like, okay, yeah, we we sing our songs, and that's good, and then we go on. There's a sermon, that's good. But listen, when we are singing, when we are lifting our voice, what are we doing? Are we singing just so we sound pretty? <laughs> Are are we singing just so our neighbor can hear how great of a voice we have? Notice no one sits by me, by the way, right? My poor family, right? we are singing praise of his glorious grace. We are are lifting our voices with resound because God is majestic, because he is amazing, because he is glorious. And this is just a tiny little way that we get to reflect how amazing he is. This is his purpose in choosing you. This is his purpose in adopting you. And this is his purpose in pouring his grace out upon you to the praise of his glorious grace. And notice these last few words. Not only are we blessed with grace to the praise of his glory, but, but finally we are we are blessed with grace in Christ. Look at verse six again. It says, It says to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us. Here it is, in the beloved. I mean, this verse is kind of, this section today is kind of a broken record, right? Verse 3 talks about how we're blessed because of Christ. Verse 4 talks about how we're chosen in Christ. Verse 5 talks about how we're adopted through Christ. Verse 6 talks about how we have this grace that's been given to us in the beloved who is Christ. In fact, it makes me realize, like, I think my preaching, you guys are probably used to it. I'm kind of a broken record myself. I mean, every time I get up here, what are you gonna hear? Do better, try harder, work more? No, no. Every time we share, you know what we're saying? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. You and I, we come because of Christ. You and I, we sing because of Christ. You and I, we are chosen. We are adopted. We are saved and we are given grace once again. Why? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. It comes back to this over and over again. Now, what does that mean for us today, right now? I'm gonna say what I said at the beginning. If you were in Christ, here's what I want for you more than anything else. I want you to leave this room today walking on cloud nine, overwhelmed by the reality that you are blessed by God the Father because of Christ. I, I, I hope you go home and the rest of the day, you just are marveling. Wait, what? Wow, look at what he's done for me. Similarly, if you're here today, and, and as I mentioned earlier, if you're, if you're still wrestling with what you actually think and what you actually believe about Jesus, here's what I simply want to offer to you. I want to offer to you the blessing of the Father, not by anything I've done, not by anything you've done, but simply by you trusting in Jesus and his death and resurrection, by trusting in the Savior. You receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. I want you to know the blessing of the Father. This reminds me of my last year playing baseball. My last year playing baseball, I was hanging on by a thread. Like I barely made the team. I was a, I, I was a late bloomer, and so I grew like, almost six inches after I graduated high school. Completely unfair. I don't know why the Lord would do that to me. It's a conversation we're going to have in heaven one day, right? But, uh, but, but I barely made the team my last season playing baseball. And on top of that, the winter before, I had an eye injury, which really made my depth perception messed up, which means, talk about trouble with the curveball. Like, it, it just the writing was on the wall. My career was coming to an end very quickly. And, uh, and I remember the last season I played, my dad, he was not able to make a lot of my games, I remember one game he made, I could drive you, you to the field, I can show you the hill that he was sitting on as he was watching the game, I could show you the place on that hill he was sitting on, and, uh, and, and the coach in his you know, incredible wisdom decided to play me at second base, uh, and you know I spent a lot of time not playing that season, right? but I was on second, and I was playing the position, my dad was watching, and I'll tell you what, I was going to do the best I could that game. This ball was hit, and this ball actually wasn't hit to me. It was one of those, you know, those bloop singles that goes just over the second baseman between the second baseman and the outfielder, just kind of plops right in there where basically no one really ever has a chance of getting it right. But my dad was at that game. And so as this second baseman who only thing I really had on my side was the ability to hustle, I turned and I ran and I did one of those, I'm going to just throw my glove up and pray that maybe that ball lands in there. And I reached out and to my surprise and to the coach's surprise and to my team's surprise and to my dad's surprise, I caught that ball. And I get up and I turn around and you know the very first place my eyes go, they go up on that hill where I know my dad is sitting Not to my coach, not to my teammates. It's where my dad is. Because I wanted his blessing. I wanted to see the smile upon his face. I wanted to hear those words. That's my boy. You realize that's yours in Christ. You realize God the Father looks at those in Christ right now not because of your ability to catch a bloop single into the outfield, not because of your ability to be a moral person or to try hard or to do good things. Do you realize God the Father looks at you right now if you are in Christ and he has laid his blessing upon you? Chosen adopted, given his grace. Pray with me. Father, I pray that your blessing would be overwhelming to us today. I pray that everyone that walked in these doors as, as those who have trusted in Christ, I pray that they would sense this, this truth as one of the most beautiful things they've ever heard. I pray that they would be rejoicing in their inner person for the the rest of this day, for the rest of this week, for the rest of this year, for the rest of their lives, because they have your blessing, not because of anything they've done, but because of who Christ is and what he has done And Lord, I pray specifically for those who walked in these doors with their mind not yet made up about Jesus. I pray that they would see the offer that is laid before them, that they would recognize that today is the day of salvation, that they would turn to you that they would trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that they would not only know that they are saved, but they would know that your blessing is now upon them. And Father, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.